Hora de muy buenos días. Again, if you're visiting, my name is Peter, and I serve on the team of elders that leads the church. Today we carry on with week two of our preaching series, Freedom Intention. And as we're seeing in Romans 14 and 15, we can't be intentional about our faith in, unless we live in tension. Unless we embrace specifically the tension between liberated freedoms that we enjoy versus restrictive convictions that we employ. So there are a lot of tensions in the Christian faith, and this tension between convictions and liberties or freedoms is something that is super important to embrace. We see it in Romans 14 and 15. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. Romans 14, verses 13 through 23, through the rest of the chapter. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. The word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. If you're taking notes, the title of my sermon is Walking in Love. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to know your love and to walk in it. Help us to know your love and the effects of your love that make us righteous, make us right with you, and make us instruments for making others right with you in growing in righteousness. And Lord, I ask that you would expose any contrary hindrances to us understanding and growing in this revelation, in this mystery for your kingdom. Amen. Walking in love. I'm going to teach our passage from the top to the bottom pretty much. And I'll stop just a few times with a few important points as I go along. 
So up to the top, verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now this verse 13 is kind of like a hinge in the middle of the chapter. And it kind of sums up what we talked about last week. Last week we, we heard basically in verses 2 and 3 the same basic thing that he's saying here in verse 13. It was an admonition to the weak and the free or strong brother. You know, there are some of us who are uh, maybe a little bit more conservative, restrictive with certain things, uh, whether it's eating, uh, maybe in, in our context, maybe not the same in the Roman church, eating meat sacrificed to pagan uh, idols. We probably don't talk about that much. But other freedoms and restrictions that Christians tend to argue about, there's some of us who are, are a little bit more restrictive in some areas, and Paul calls us, the, the weak brothers, as he says, he calls us to not pass judgment on other Christians who aren't led by the Holy Spirit in the exact same ways that we are. And he, and he repeats that here, the start of verse 13, do not pass judgment on another any longer. But then he addresses the more free Christians. Uh, last week we saw earlier in the chapter, he says, do not despise or think less of your, your brother with more restrictive convictions Don't despise him or think little of him in the way that you live, in the way that you eat and drink and dance or date or watch TV or or anything. Don't despise or think little of. And then he builds off of that warning to the stronger brother. He says here, never put a stumbling block. This word Never, in the ESV at least, is a strong word, and I think it's well chosen. This word hindrance. Never put a stumbling block or hindrance. The original word is the Greek word scandalon, where we get our word scandal. Uh, Literally, it used to just simply be a triggered trap that people would put intentionally in the place of another person to, to catch them up. And so he's saying, do not put a trap And we need to know whether we intend to trap people or not is not as important as whether or not we are making people fall or or tempting people. God often doesn't judge us based on our intentions, but on our actions. And he's saying, do not put a hindrance regardless of what you intend. In fact, Jesus would put it this way. This this word scandalon is used three times in Matthew 18.7. And it's translated temptations. Instead of hindrances, it's temptations. Jesus says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. You see, this is pretty serious. Serious warning to the stronger brother. Uh, One preacher commented on this. He said, Evidently, how we relate to each other with our detention of our freedoms and our, our, our convictions, evidently how we relate to each other on non-important issues turns out to be super important. So weak and strong here are matters of sensitivity. They're not moral categories here. 
Weak and strong in Romans 14 is not the same as right and wrong. Rather, they're unique ways that we tend to experience God based on our makeup, based on our past, based on what he's doing specifically in our individual lives. And how we respond to his leading says a lot about how he's leading us in life and how we see ourselves as connected to our brothers and sisters. And it's a serious thing. It says a lot about how we see our standing before God and our responsibility to stand with others who stand before God as we are overcoming sin by the Holy Spirit and as he's destroying evil in and through us. How we treat others amidst our differences says a lot about what we believe about the gospel that comes from God and the purpose in the earth and in our lives if we're truly to walk in love with others from the place of right standing that God has placed us in. So this is very, uh, a very direct admonition to the church. Verse 14, it goes on. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Again, remember we said this is not as much moral categories as much as it is deep and serious sensitivity to the Holy Spirit who would be so kind as to lead us as sons and daughters that are connected to one another. So clean here, this word clean or the the opposite of unclean, clean or unclean has less to do with the object in question, has less to do with... uh, eating that type of food or dancing that type of way or arguing about all those lesser things. It it has to do with our conscience. It's interesting, Paul, when he wrote a letter to, to Titus, made a really similar relationship between our conscience and what we call pure or impure. Titus 1.15, To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Indeed, both their minds and their consciences are defiled. You see, God's more interested in the grid by which we see the world than he is with our opinions about the world. See, it's, it's about our conscience. That's the key. But as we move forward and we go down in the chapter, you see that it's not just about your conscience that you're responsible for. You're also responsible for your brother or your sister's conscience. Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you could say what you watch. If he's grieved, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. You see, if your conscience is pricked, it's wrong. But if your conscience is not pricked, it doesn't mean that it's not wrong. Because the conscience of your brother could be affected, and therefore your actions are destructive. A problem, a destructive problem. In other words, you don't have to feel bad about something for it to be sin, and for it to be something that grieves the Holy Spirit. 
See, my emotions about something aren't the objective framework of morality. But they can be a useful tool in how I respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in my life. And I don't want to deny that tool, but I also don't want to judge as if that's the only thing. If the life I have and that I enjoy is something that I've earned, let's say the the righteousness that I live, if it's something that I worked for, I followed the rules and I received a righteousness that I've earned, then I wouldn't necessarily have a responsibility towards others who are trying to work their way to, to get up to my level. You know, if if I've earned this righteousness, then I don't really have a responsibility to make sure that I'm I'm helping this person grow in their righteousness. And so their conscience and how I affect them wouldn't really be up to me. No one can, can speak anything bad about how I affect them. But if the righteousness that I have is not something sourced in my behavior, if it's not something that I've earned, if it's something that's been given to me, then with open hands, I hold it, and I see that I am responsible to the other person who's also wanting to hold on to the same thing. And I am responsible to not do anything that would cause them to stumble in how they hold and how they grow in our mutual salvation. I am responsible for whether or not I'm building them up or whether I'm not, or whether I am destroying them. Now, this word destroy, is this, is this too harsh? I mean, it's harsh. But listen, when we allow our freedoms or what we call liberties, when we allow them to harm others or to put a barrier toward them in experiencing the fullness of God in Christ, we're being selfish but maybe not just selfish. Maybe it's a little bit demonic. And here's why I say that. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. And Paul says here in Romans 14 that by what we eat or drink or whatever freedoms that we have, we claim in our Christian life, he says, by that do not, what? Destroy your brother. And we need to know that Jesus came to destroy. But he came to, not to destroy people, but to destroy the destruction of people. 1 John 3.8 Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In other words, to destroy destruction, to destroy the deception inside me that would call freedom that which is really just a hindrance or destruction when really it's bondage, whether it's something I eat or something I watch or someone, someone that you date. Jesus came to destroy Anything that would destroy you. Now, I'm not saying he came to destroy your girlfriend. But he might want to destroy that relationship if it's destroying you. 
because he loves you. The son of man came to destroy the work of the devil. And that's the point. We're not redeemed and taken back by this high price that Jesus pays so that we can simply remain on earth and enjoy what we call liberties. But we are to enjoy Jesus and to spread his kingdom and to participate in eradicating any other rival kingdoms that stand against Jesus. And if you receive the life of Jesus, that's not your own, that comes from him. You also receive the purpose of the life that he gives you. The purpose of eradicating the works of Satan. And if you receive his life, you receive his power to do that. Amen? When you receive his righteousness, you'll see that it puts you in right standing with God and in right position to help others be in right standing with God and not otherwise. Jesus purchased on the cross the object of salvation and and he also purchased the means of salvation. So when he died on the cross, he purchased the ability to get me saved. But at the same time, he purchased the power and the rights to make me an object and an instrument to help others be saved. It's both and. His blood not only redeems my life, but it redeems the purpose of my life in extending his life to others. John Piper is a pastor in Minnesota, and he said, Christ, he's commenting on this ver- these verses, he says, Christ laid down his whole precious life to purchase your brother. So why can't you lay down a little meat? His blood purchased the faith of the weak, but it also also purchases the faithfulness of the strong. My life is not my own. To you I belong. Every day I give myself. I give myself away. Why? So I can just enjoy lesser things? No, I give myself away so that you can use me. If I accept anything less, I will be useless. I give myself away, not so that I can simply enjoy lesser things, but so that I can enjoy all the things that God gives me. I give myself away so that you can use me, not so that I can excuse me. I give myself to the one who gave me life and he's responsible for my life. And so when he gives me his righteousness and he gives me his life, he gives me the purpose for that life. And it says it here in in our scripture we just read. Walking in love, if you've been redeemed by the love of Jesus, if indeed you have faith, you are in that love. And so walking in love toward your brother means that you are spreading the kingdom to your brother and no lesser kingdom, no lesser liberties. Uh, Same pastor I mentioned earlier, he, he goes on and says, don't love your liberties more than you love your brothers and your sisters. All of our liberties will die away. 
I mean, I suppose there's cheese and all those things in heaven, but our lesser liberties, what we tend to cling to here on earth, they'll go away, but brothers and sisters are to be forever. And God knows who, who the elect are. He knows who are with him in the end. We don't have to know what he knows, but we need to know that we will never put a stumbling block into someone who's on their way to receiving the fullness of Christ and put a stumbling block or a hindrance for some lesser thing than the kingdom of God. Walking in love means spreading the kingdom. And verse 17 really gets to the heart of everything. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Uh, I grew up thinking that, maybe this is the the, the weakness again coming out of me. I I grew up thinking that righteousness means kind of like moral purity or superiority. But the word does not mean that. Righteousness means more like right standing with God. That you're in in unhindered relationship with a perfectly eternal and holy God. And when we think about it like that, we can see the beauty and the amazement of that. Unhindered, eternal relationship with this infinite God. That's righteousness. It's not just moral superiority. It's right standing with God through what he did for us. And so to receive righteousness and to grow in the kingdom of God, as, as we see verse 17 play out, it's my right standing with God being something I celebrate in the kingdom of God as something from him. And any other lie, any other lesser claim that I have on righteousness, I have to thereby reject. Or as Paul would say, I lose that for the sake of gaining this true eternal righteousness. Any other thing is rubbish. Consider how Paul relates losing his own life and his claims to, to, to freedom and, and life and losing all that in order to gain true righteousness and to spread the kingdom. Philippians 4. More than that, I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing excellence of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and be conformed to him in his death. See, life in the kingdom of Christ is about the true freedom to walk in his love and to spread his kingdom through righteousness and peace and joy. It's not merely the ability to argue over lesser freedoms or liberties. Are you free to enjoy Jesus and the the life that he allows? Yes, I think so, but you're more free than that, not less. You're more free than just what you would call enjoyment or what you would think that he allows. 
you're free to conquer a world of evil and to have right standing with God and to hinge off of that with God's desires in the universe. That's a lot of freedom. And that's why Paul's saying, don't settle for a lesser freedom. I kind of relate it all the way back. I think of Adam and Eve. Remember, they were given a, a, a moment of, a, they, were, they were given a, a prohibition, which really wasn't a prohibition. It, it, was, it was a command. It was an affirmation of freedom. Okay, so they were given an affirmation of freedom, but then they were given a, a command of purpose. So their affirmation of freedom was, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, except for that one. Okay, so there's freedom given. But then they were, they were told the command of the purpose of their life, be fruitful and multiply. And isn't it interesting how the, the devil tried to confuse them about what really was their affirmation of their freedom in a way that thwarted the whole purpose of their life? Are you re- did, did he really say that you're free to do this, this, and that? And in that argument over lesser things, the devil completely took their whole freedom and then their whole purpose in life. And I think about that and think, as that relates to the central convictions of what Jesus has called us to do and who we are in him, how often can we argue over what is or is not freedom in the Christian life? When God's given us a great purpose in the kingdom to expand and to multiply, to be fruitful and multiply righteousness, peace, and joy, but we're over here just arguing about what we're really allowed to do. Don't allow arguments over lesser things, over freedoms or liberties, to thwart your purpose in the kingdom of God and in the expansion of his kingdom and the inconquerable love of Christ. Don't ask about what God allows. Ask what does God desire in my life? Let me illustrate this in the clearest way I know how. I've been preparing myself for the inevitable in that in the years to come, there is going to be young men who want to date my daughters. And uh, if, if any of these young men has the guts and the dignity and the wisdom to approach me first, first of all, that's a win in and of itself. But if he were to come up to me and say, Mr. Dusan, before I go any further with my intentions with your daughter, I want to know, what's your desire for our relationship? If that young man asked me something like that, I would probably grab his head and kiss him and give him money. (laughs) But go with me here. Imagine if he were to ask me, Mr. Dusan, what do you allow? What if he said, what am I allowed to do with your daughter? I'd say, brother, you just remind me way too much of me before I saw the kingdom of God. So let's talk about what you're not allowed to do. Let's, you're not allowed to be in the same zip code as my daughter. I think too often we go to God and instead of asking him, what do you want? We say things like, well, what do you allow? And he says, look, I've given you freedom to ask so many better questions than that. 
Questions like, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, I gave you authority to call heaven down on earth, and you're asking about little liberties. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and the, the miraculous, unstoppable expansion of that. It's a greater purpose than we often settle for. Righteousness, peace, which is the Messiah's peace, not just peace as we know it. And joy, which is not just happiness, but it's expansive joy. And the order of these things seems so great. See, righteousness first. And when I have right standing with God, it's going to lead to peace regardless of my circumstances. Regardless if you're torturing me, I still have peace. Because I have right standing with God. In fact, I just might make my torturers annoyed with all the joy that bubbles out of me. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. See, the kingdom of God is not simply about allowances that I hoard but heavenly virtue that I spread. And so verse 18 is sort of like a commentary on verse 17, and it goes really hard. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, we need to stop and slow down here because it says whoever thus serves Christ, meaning Not just whoever serves Christ, but whoever thus serves Christ. Meaning, whoever serves Christ like this, like kingdom service. And it leads us to remind ourselves that there is another type of serving God that's not kingdom service. And this is my great concern. Uh, These other ways to serve God, so, so often we settle for. And it comes from a lesser view of what it really means to walk in love with God and others and rightly manage the tension between freedoms and convictions. And and often it just comes from a lesser view of what serving Christ really means and who Christ really is and what the gospel is. Maybe you serve Christ as far as you understand, but do you Do you thus serve Christ, as Paul asserts here? Because there are ways to serve God that actually dishonor God. That he, as the Bible says, that he hates. That he spits out. Ways that are unacceptable to God, instead of, as it says here in verse 18, acceptable. Whether they're approved by men or not, do you serve God as if he needs you? Whether it's service you could do in church or things you think you're doing for God outside of church. Do you serve God as if you're the giver and he's the receiver? Because let me tell you, for all of eternity, God will never be any man's beneficiary. He's always the giver, never the receiver. Jesus says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So even when we're giving, even when we're, we think we're giving, even when we're serving, that service is ultimately a gift we're receiving, growing in. It's more kingdom expansion and righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul said in Acts 17, God is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. So listen, many of us have repented for the evil things that we've done in our past. 
But we need to see that serving the God of the true gospel means that we also have to sorrowfully repent for our good deeds. George Whitfield is going to help me explain that. He's an evangelist from a few hundred years ago, and he says this. He says, before you can speak peace to your hearts, you must not only be troubled for the sins of your life, the sin of your nature, but likewise for the sin of your best duties and performances. When a poor soul is somewhat awakened by the terrors of the Lord, when, the poor, when that poor creature being born under the covenant of works, meaning not the gospel, he, f- he can fly directly back to the covenant of, covenant of works again. And as Adam and Eve hid themselves among the trees of the garden and sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness, so the poor sinner, when awakened, flies to his duties and performances to hide himself from God and goes to patch up a righteousness of his own. Holy Spirit, help us to judge ourselves rightly. I want to ask you a personal question and ask the Holy Spirit to help you in processing this. How often is what you think of as serving God actually just a barrier that you erect to keep God away from the deepest parts of your heart? See, all too often we we use religious service not to draw near to God, but to push him away. And there is a religious service that is this is righteous and it's pleasing to God. And we're going to get to that. But perhaps just as often there is a service that is anti-righteousness. It doesn't hinge off of our right standing with God and then thus serves the Lord. It hinges off of the opposite. It's a rejection of his offer in preference of our own. Now, Whitfield goes on. The new Christian says, I will be mighty good now. I will reform I will do all that I can, and then certainly Jesus Christ will have mercy on me. But before you can speak peace to your heart, you must be brought to see that God may damn you for your best prayer ever put up. You must be brought to see that all your duties, all your righteousness, put them together, are so far from recommending you to God, are so far from being any motive and inducement to God to have mercy on your poor soul that he will see them as filthy rags, as menstrual cloths, that God hates them and cannot away with them if you bring them to him in order to recommend yourself to his favor. My dear friends, what is there in our performances to recommend us to God? See, we need to often repent for our good deeds as well as our bad deeds. Now, There's nothing wrong with desiring to please God or with wanting to serve God. But to serve as a son means that I'm aware that my service is an expression of my sonship and not a pathway to it. Uh, In a similar way, in yet a lesser way, for the last 14 years and however long I get to live, I get to fight to be faithful to my wife. But my fight to be faithful to my wife is not in order to earn her hand in marriage. 
we've, we've already been married. My fight is to grow in the joy of what I already possess. When she said I do to me 14 years ago, it was a priceless gift in Jesus Christ. And so the rest of my life, my desire to please her is an expression of the love that we share. It's not sort of some sort of formula to force her, her love and allegiance. And so can we please God? Of course we can please God. But if the things that we do, we kind of press into God as if there's some sort of gambling chips to force him to accept us, then God will dash those chips off the table and rip the cards out of our hands that we think that we hold against him. The hands that he's given us. No, our, our love is to be expression of something we've already received in the kingdom and a right standing. It's not, an, as, as Whitfield says, an inducement on him. It's to be a celebration of the freedom he's given us. Life itself comes from him and life itself belongs to him. A few chapters ago, Romans 11, for from him and through him and unto him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And if you serve God, you serve God as a vessel, as like a spring. What do vessels do? Uh, They let things go through them. That's why even the, the sacrament of baptism is interesting. What do you do? Well, you, you let someone vulnerably lower you into the water and bring you back up. That's, it's not really impressive. No, it's not. It's a perfect symbol of the salvation we receive in God. We, we let him kill us and give, give us new life. We are a vessel and vessels receive to overflowing. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the living water. And he pours out into us so that we can overflow into others. And again, when we see that the righteousness that we have is not from ourselves, we can see ourselves as vessels. And we can see our purpose. Verse 19 really nails down our purpose. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Again, we don't have to ask, what am I allowed to do? But what expands the kingdom and blesses others? I can't tell you how many times I've put something on social media and then had to take it down. Maybe not because it was wrong. Maybe not because I didn't have the freedom to share my opinion about that thing, but because it did not uplift others and expand the peace of God. And that's what my freedom is for. Verse 20, and I'm going to kind of go towards the end. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats or watches, or whatever else. Verse 21, it is good to not eat meat, or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Now, pause there for a second. It seems like the whole chapter of Paul is talking about your faith is not just between you and God, it's interconnected to other people. So when I get to the start of verse 22, I'm thinking, man, it seems like it's saying something different. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Until another man helped me to see what this means in context. The freedoms you think you enjoy individually, don't flaunt those. 
Keep, keep that between yourself and God. Because walking in love means spreading the kingdom and not flaunting your freedom. Do, do you have faith and freedom to, to do different, th- like to go drink beer? That's okay. Unless it's an IPA, that's gross. But seriously, do, do you have freedom to drink a beer? Great. Maybe don't post it on social media. Do you have freedom to put on that really cute dress if you're a girl? Yes. And go and, and drink margaritas with your friends? Yes. But save those cute pictures for, for yourself. Don't post them on Instagram. Maybe, maybe your sister's not as free with margaritas. My standard with my staff in our, in our church, I don't, want, I don't want us, our leaders, purchasing alcohol or drinking alcohol in public in our zip code. Does the Bible say that explicitly? No. I just think that's us obeying Romans 14. I remember my pastor, my campus pastor at the time, Morgan Stevens, who's now the pastor at Mosaic, got on my case about one of these little things that I called freedom, but really could have been a hindrance to other people. And I remember he was like exceedingly harsh about it is what I thought at the time. But it turns out he just had a a higher view of myself than I had of me. He had a high view of my influence, a high view of God's love pouring through me and using me as a vessel. If my freedom becomes a barrier to others, it's not freedom. It's not faith. Verse 23, for whoever doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith, but whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You see, there's a clear difference between verse 22, the faith that's between you and God, versus the allegiance and the faith that we're supposed to spread as we see the kingdom expand through our right standing and the peace and the joy that we have, which is so far superior to any sort of freedoms that we would flaunt or try to use to draw others. It's the peace and the power of God. Now, as I close, I want us to go back up, actually, the very first verse. I want us to consider something. Verse 13, the last part of the verse says, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, we've, we've already covered what this word hindrance means. It's like a, a scandal or a temptation. But this word stumbling block is actually really rare. It's only used a few times. And actually, the other t- two times that it's used is in Romans 9. And each time, it's talking about Jesus. That Jesus is the stumbling block. He's the stumbling stone of offense. And when we stumble over him and we stumble into him, we are to never stumble away. And so, beloved, I say that once we stumble upon Jesus, let us never, let us never have, leave any reason to go in any other direction from that place. Never. No lesser freedoms cause any other sort of stumble away from that place of seeing the cross of Christ and seeing in his death my life in a new way. 
And so may we hear God's voice and seek him together in growth groups, taking the growth steps by faith. May we hinge off of our true liberation by his blood and may we build each other up and spread true freedom and righteousness like wildfire. May you stand to your feet with me.